0: All right, well, hello, Overlake. Hello, Overlake. All right, all right, excellent. I love you guys. You're such a beautiful church. Uh, my name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team, and excited to be continuing, actually, wrapping up a series today on outlandish love. So, if you want to grab your notes out of your handout, you can. Uh, I also want to begin by just saying this. Now, you're here, so this is not a huge, huge deal, but here's the deal. Every once in a while, we have a thing at Overleg during the football season. It's called No Hawk talk, all right? Can you guys just say that after me? No, hawk, talk. Now, here's what that means. <laughs> just to so curious. Don't tell anyone what the score of the game is, all right? I just want to say this because we announced this very clearly last, last service, and in between, uh, somebody who was in the last service came up to me and told me the score of the game, and now I have to forgive them. It's just so hard for me to practice what I preach, so would you please... Take this opportunity to to not look at your phones, and if you do, which, you know, there's grace, just don't talk about it. Uh, I don't want to hear how awesome Russell Wilson is or what the score of the game, like nothing. We have too many pastors who love the Seahawks who are DVRing the game, and if you want them to continue to serve on Sunday morning, no hawk talk. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, all right, so we're on the same page. Okay, outlandish love. What, what we want to recognize is that there's a theme running throughout this entire series and it's, and it's summed up by these words of Jesus, okay? Take a look at your notes. Matthew 10, verse 8, freely, can you circle that word? Freely you have received, freely give. Th- that will string all of our conversations about outlandish, non-proportional, over-the-top, even bizarre and extravagant love. All of our conversation about that can be threaded together with that concept. Freely we have received love from God, and now freely we can offer it to one another. Uh, This week, it's weird, I've been very emotionally uh, connected, in tune with my emotions this week, and and there was a story that hit uh, CNN homepage about a, a young boy in Central America who was deaf. And a and, uh, mission trip went down and, and ministered in his community, and a young woman, early 20s, uh, met this young boy and cared for him, and they struck up a friendship, and when she came home, she realized, you know, I think we could do something for this, for this young boy. And so she reached out to a missions organization uh, called Ray of Hope Ministries, and some doctors who were connected there said, yeah, we'd love to help. And so they offered their time and expertise, and they flew this young boy up to Texas, and they operated on him. And the CNN video clip was of this young boy on Skype hearing his family for the first time tell him that they love him. And the tears just flowed down this young boy's face, and he was just wiping off his tears, and I'm on my couch just wiping off my tears. And And it was just a beautiful picture, just a snapshot of that outlandish love, right? That over-the-top, that extravagant, that, hey, I have received freely, and now I want to love freely. And that's what we are invited into. And each week, we've been talking a little bit about some different aspect of outlandish love. Today, we want to talk about how to have outlandish love without expectations, And we see snapshots of this all the way throughout scripture. Jesus, of course, is the absolute model. He's the clearest picture of what this kind of outlandish love looks like. And so you can see in 1 John 4.10, it says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So so just take a look at that passage for a moment. Let's just think about this. So we have received his love freely. It's not that we loved him. It's that he loved us freely. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, freely, without expectations, and, and Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sin. This was all offered to us freely. And then it says, since God loved us that much how should we respond we should begin to love one another and then verse 12 says something really interesting it says no one has seen God the father but in our love they can see what God is like and that just gives me chills no one's seen God, but in our outlandish love for one another, as we pour it out, as we just lavish love, extravagantly give it away, we are showing the world what God is like. And so we just recognize that that's what we are invited into. And throughout this series, we've talked about how outlandish love is communicated with our faith. Outlandish love is communicated with our words. Outlandish love is communicated with our actions. Today, I wanna to talk about how outlandish love is communicated without expectation, okay? Now, Jesus is the one who teaches on this most clearly. And these are hard words for us to receive. I mean, this kind of goes against our grain, but take a look at what Jesus taught in Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But look what he says. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting. Circle that phrase. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Friends, that is a beautiful passage on loving outlandishly without expectations. He says, We are to love without expecting to be loved in return. We're to lend without expecting to be given back in return. We're we're to pour it on. We're to serve without any expectation that the person that we're serving is going to turn around and serve us back. That's what outlandish love without expectations looks like. Is that what we see in Jesus? It is. Jesus. Remember last week we talked about these words, this prayer, the, the, the pivotal prayer. That has ever been paid, prayed, he, he prayed on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing about the very people who are piercing his wrist with nails. Jesus modeled this so, so clearly, this idea of loving without expectation, just lavishing it on, just pouring it on, healing, right, and serving and, and feeding, and he did all of these things without expectation that it was going to come back to him. He did that because of who he was. He, he is love, and so he loves, and, and that's the love we're invited into. Now there is a clear passage of scripture that, that communicates this, it's kind of an episode in Jesus' life and ministry that shows what this looks like. And I think many of you might be familiar with this. It certainly rings true to our own experiences we serve. This is in Luke chapter 17. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. For those of you who know the cultural context, you know that leprosy, it, was, it had incredible stigma associated with it. And so they were ostracized and they were actually forbidden from being part of the the social community, because leprosy could be easily transferred, and so they were quarantined away from friendships and relationships. They could not have an active part in the social life of the town, and, and literally, they, they had to be away from people, so they were outside of town. The leper colonies were removed from society. If a leper was walking down the street, it was your requirement to yell out, unclean, and you would cross the street so that you would have no interaction with the leper. It, it, absolutely, this, this, this crippling stigma that was associated with the disease. It wasn't bad enough to have the disease. No, Now, now you are absolutely shunned from society, from relationships. And so notice that they are, they're respecting that rule. They stand at a distance from the rest of the disciples, from Jesus. And, and they, they call out with loud voices, Jesus, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Um, For our cultural context today, you could just read that now. He was a 49ers fan, okay? So uh, you wouldn't expect it, is what I'm saying. Then Jesus answered, "Uh, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so I want us to get our minds into this context. All 10 are lepers, and Jesus says, "Uh, go and show yourself to the priest. And so the scripture says that as they went to the priest, by the way, this is a part of Levitical law, that the leper was to show themselves to the priest who would declare them clean, that as they went to the priest, they were healed. Their skin was made a whole. The disease was removed from their bodies as they walked in faith and did what Jesus had instructed them to do. And so you, you realize that all 10 of them must have had this incredible exhilaration as they looked at themselves and realized that, that they were now clean, that the leprosy no longer had a hold of their bodies. And you could imagine just the joy that coursed through them and then instantly the thought, I, I've got kids to hug. I've got a job interview to go to. I've got a Seahawks game to make. Like all of a sudden the world is opened up to them because now they're no longer shunned or, or have the stigma of being unclean. They can now be a part of society. And so they're thinking, man, I've got things to do. I've got a new lease on life. I'm going for it. And they all rush off. Now the one who comes back also had that going on. The one who, who comes back, you, you can imagine he also had a family to go hug, and he also had a, a, a new, you know, new job, new, new life that he was going to enter into, but he pauses, and he turns, and he comes back to Jesus, and he praises God. Now, I, I, I just want to challenge you here. How many of us are like the nine who rush off? And how many of us are like the one who comes to Jesus and praises the Lord? Make it even more personal how many blessings does God pour out on our life that go unthanked and even unnoticed? Yeah, if you fill in the blanks, the first one's really, really simple it's the challenge to be thankful. over like, I want us to be absolutely thankful. I want us to be the family of God that is absolutely filled with gratitude, that we are filled with joy. We constantly go back to Jesus and just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's one of the reasons why we gather together on Sundays, so that together as a group, we can corporately sing our thanks and our praise to the Lord, that that we wanna be like the one who is marked by his gratitude, who comes back and says, Jesus, thank you for healing me. Thank you for moving in my life. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for blessing my life. And I want to challenge you to go even further. It's not just a one-day-a-week kind of a thing. I think, Overlake, we should go after being like this at the beginning of every single day, that we should start our day with gratitude. I, uh, we call this thank therapy, which makes me sound like Sylvester the Cat, thank therapy. Uh, But we start with this idea of what can I be thankful for today as I head into my life, as I face the challenges of my day, as I take a look at this road that I have, you know, set out for me in this next 24-hour period, what can I begin with gratitude? It will change everything about your life if you can get this. I'm preaching to myself. It'll change everything about the way I look at my challenges, the way I look at trials, the way I look at relationships, the way I look at my faith. Everything will change if we can get this idea of gratitude. When was the last time you just made a list? You know, it's kind of an old wives saying where you would count your many blessings, name them one by one, but when's the last time you did that? When's the last time you just stood before the Lord and said, Jesus, I want to thank you for warm water showers and waffles and waking up an hour before my alarm so I could just laze around in bed for an hour. And that's just the W's on my list, you know. And you just have all of this gratitude before the Lord. Look what the scripture says here. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy, I burst out in songs of thanksgiving over like I want that to be the picture of who we are. I want us to be the one and not the nine. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time and some of you have been serving him regularly as a part of your faith journey. And so I want you to think for a moment about this ratio, will you? Uh, Ten healed... Nine go off on their own way and one comes back to say thank you. For those of you who've been serving Jesus a long time, doesn't that ratio sound about right? Isn't that about what the norm is? You serve 10 and, and one pauses to send a kind email. You're serving 10 kids in a classroom, you know, or children's ministry, and one parent pulls you aside and says Thanks. Isn't that sort of, haven't we kind of come to, to recognize that that's sort of how it happens? And again, we go back to Bible math. We've been doing that every week. Bible math, I've been giving you all kinds of formulas about how this looks, and, and you can see Bible math everywhere in the scripture, right? Jesus talks about a farmer sowing a seed, and 75% of the soil is going to be hard soil or rocky soil or weedy soil, but 25% is going to be 100-fold soil, Right? Bible math doesn't make sense, but somehow in God's economy it all works. Bible math is when Jesus says, "Look, you got ninety-nine sheep, and the shepherd, or you got hundred sheep, and, you, and and one of them, you know, the postmodern adventure lamb, wanders off, and you leave the ninety-nine, and you follow after the one, and that's somehow that's God math. It makes sense. And the equation that I want to give you today is from the story about the lepers. There are ten lepers healed. Nine of them new lease on life and they rush off into their new and busy and wonderful healed existence and that equals enough for you and I. It's enough for us because we recognize that we we didn't go into it for the thanks in the first place. Now over like I I, I just want you to to, stick with me for a moment here. Today if you've got children in the children's ministry. You got students in our student ministry. Today, if you jump on the shuttle bus and they take you to your car, today, I would love for you to go over the top in gratitude for their service. Can you do that? They don't know it's coming, but today, I- I'd love for you to shake everybody's hand who's serving today, that you'd give everyone a hug today, reaching your wallet. Here's 50 bucks, you know, like whatever it takes, Right? You just pour out gratitude on them, and they won't know what hit them, but friends, I want this to be the kind of church that we are, okay? I want us to be, to be filled with gratitude. But by the same token, I want us to be healthy in the reasons we serve. And you need to realize that we don't go into ministry because we're, we're anticipating the pats on the back. We don't go into ministry because we're needy and we need that affirmation. We serve because we wanna bring glory and honor to Jesus. That's our next fill-in. The second thought out out of this passage is we have to remember that everything we do is for the glory of God. The person that we're all working for is Jesus. And, and his gratitude and his thanks for our service is the only one that matters. And so we just recognize we don't go into ministry to become wealthy. We don't go into ministry to get our props. We don't go into ministry to get, to get our affirmations. We go into ministry. We serve one another. We love one another outlandishly without expectation for the glory of God. And it's just something for us to keep in mind, right? We have to keep bringing our minds back to this. It would be great if we all got all kinds of gratitude all the time, but I just want you to know it just doesn't happen like that. My first ministry I served at, I, I was there for six years, and, and so there was a student named Scott. He came in seventh grade. I was with him all the way through his high school experience, graduation, and we were hanging out a couple of nights before he was going to take off to college, And so I just thought, you know, we're driving around. I said, hey, Scott, uh, hey, man, you've been a part of the ministry for six years. You heard me preaching the word for six years. I said, "Uh, tell me, you know, what did God stir in your heart? What's something you're going to take away from this experience? And he thought for a second. He said, Mike, I don't remember anything you taught. And I was singing, I never liked you, Scott. No, yeah, I... uh, And then he smiled real big and he said, but I'll never forget the night before they tore down the old offices and you grabbed me and a couple of sledgehammers and we went in and we destroyed the inside of that place. I'll never forget that. And I thought to myself, six years of sermon prep and all you remember is the drywall destruction. I But you know, that's sort of how it happens, right? Like we serve and we pour our hearts out and we love one another and and you just keep going and you keep serving and you keep loving. And you need to realize that, that we're not serving for the props that we get back. We're serving for the glory of Jesus. And it all comes around. This is why, parents, you love your children. This is why you raise them the way that you do, filled with love and grace and truth. This is why you serve diligently in your jobs. you, You keep going back to this again and again because you're not serving on this level. You're serving for this. And that's why when you read scripture and it says things like this, do everything without complaining and arguing, we can go, oh, I get it. Because it's not about this relationship. It's about the glory of God. Or the next one, Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Why? Because you're working for the Lord rather than people. And so everything we do, it's for the glory of God. And I I just, I want to keep coming back to this idea that, that we are not serving, we're not loving outlandishly because we're anticipating the return on investment. We're loving outlandishly without expectations because we're serving for the glory of God. I got an incredible email from an overlay couple. This is just recently. And it talked about a difficult season that they'd been in uh, involving a lawsuit. It said, Pastor Mike, last year a family bought our home from us and we're so anxious to get into it. We'd work long and hard to make sure the transition was as easy as possible. But both real estate agents neglected to get one of the inspections and our new owners decided to sue everyone when something happened with the septic tank a few months later. The mediation happened, and my husband went in very well prepared. He's a man of integrity and was blown away to realize that the price of the litigation had jumped considerably. He and the various parties involved eventually came to a settlement with great expense to us that would be difficult to pay, but more than anything, hurtful words were said about my husband, and that makes it especially painful." We'll move on. We'll pay the huge bill. We'll continue to praise and thank God for who he is. When I wrote to my friends for prayer, I mentioned the outlandish love that you've been preaching this year. My daughter suggested that perhaps we give them a grand basket of gifts at Christmas. And when I mentioned this to my husband last evening, he said, you know, I think maybe after this whole thing is over that we should invite the couple to dinner. And I just want you to see a picture of what it looks like to love, even when somebody's demanding a pound of flesh from you, that you choose to love. Even when someone's coming at you and saying hurtful things, and and, and, and it's, it's a painful thing that's being involved, the challenge is that we would choose to love, that we would choose to love without expectation, that we would choose to be thankful like the one, not the nine. That we would choose to remember that everything we do is for the glory of God. And the last thing, if you're filling in the notes, is, is just this. Just remember, your thoughtfulness matters. It matters a great deal. Your thoughtfulness and your carefulness and your cheerfulness. right? Proverbs fifteen fifteen says, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. And so I want you to understand that as you're thoughtful, as you're gracious, and as you're cheerful, you reap the benefits as well as the people that you're serving right the cheerful heart has a continual feast and many of us are choosing to feast and some of us are starving to death and so I would just encourage us right choose to feast choose to be thoughtful and cheerful this week uh, one of the headlines that I read was this canceled wedding turns into a banquet for the homeless this was just this week uh, William and Carol Fowler were prepared to lose their deposits because their daughter had called off the wedding 40 days before the event. But they had already paid for the venue and the food and the entertainment, and so they were going to lose all sorts of money. And so the dad, before canceling, had this idea. What if we reach out to the local homeless shelter, and we ask them to bring in uh, you know, exactly this, the right number of folks for this banquet? And so they did, they, they, they bust in 200 folks, and they were having coconut shrimp and salmon, the kids were having chicken nuggets, it was the, the, the best of entertainment, it's it just an incredible banquet. And the person from the homeless shelter said this, they said, it is a very creme de la creme wedding venue, so to say that you're going to host 200 homeless individuals, well, it sounded like a prank call. And I want to tell you, it sounds like outlandish love. That's exactly the kind of love that we want to go after. And Overlake, I love that's who you are. I love that you're responding to this challenge. We've got an opportunity to house an incredible ministry. And uh, I've seen this ministry in action at Bellevue Presbyterian. Pastor Scott Dudley is a good friend of mine. And they have at their campus, they have a ministry called Eastside Academy. It is an alternate education program for those students in high school who are not able to make it in um, just the normal venue that high school offers. Oftentimes, these students are coming from really difficult living situations, and over like we get an opportunity to house a campus here on our site. So to talk to you a little bit about this, I want to introduce you to the director of Eastside Academy. Uh, this is Tony, and she's gonna introduce you to a graduate of Eastside Academy named Lyric. So could you welcome them as they come to share with us today? Hi, you guys You can just take a seat.
1: Good morning. My name is Tony Esparza, and I get the privilege each and every day to serve at Eastside Academy. We are a ministry that was founded in Bellevue almost 13 years ago to serve the youth of Puget Sound, who simply weren't finding success or help anywhere else. Every day, families with their teenagers walk through our doors, families who frequently feel hopeless, children who have come to believe that they are not capable of what their peers are. Youth who have been told that their past eliminates the possibility of a future. But Eastside Academy is a holistic ministry that desires to serve youth as our God created them, as whole beings. Students are provided with an opportunity to earn a high school diploma in supportive classrooms. Every student is provided with individualized counseling. Our youth participate in daily recovery groups to get support and begin to heal from trauma, addiction, and loss. Mentors from local churches are matched with our students and help them begin to understand what it means to participate in a healthy relationship. And every one of our students has shown that there is a God who loves them with a lavish, extravagant love and deeply wants a passionate and personal relationship with them. And while building relationships like this can take time, effort, and a lot of resources, the transformation in a child's life, when they experience this type of love, can be absolutely breathtaking. It can look like a prisoner that's been set free or ashes that have been transformed into something beautiful. We have a brave Eastside Academy alumni here, Lyric, who wants to
2: share her story with you. So I walked through the halls of Eastside Academy as as a 15-year-old girl with nothing but broken dreams and open wounds and addictions. Uh, Immediately after being in the halls of that school, I felt different. The staff there were different. They had a joy in their eyes that I had never seen before and smiles that never faded even through the most ruthless storms. They had patience, grace, and love that I never knew was possible. For the first time in my life, I was pursued, I was advocated for, and justice was sought on my behalf. For the first time, I began to feel what it was like to be loved by godly people, and I felt like I was loved by God himself. I had come from a home with abusive, drug-addicted parents, and I was destined to be nothing more than them. In high school, I floundered about aimlessly, switching addictions from drugs to boys, boys to self mutilation, and whatever dead idol I happened to stumble upon next. I suffered in darkness and without hope. And the only times I ever felt remotely cared for, unforgotten, and worthy of anything was when I was held in the proverbial arms of my classrooms at Eastside Academy. There was one night in particular that will stick with me for the rest of my life. I had been contemplating suicide after a harsh breakup, and I was alone crying and chain smoking cigarettes in my parents' garage. I felt I had no reason to live and nobody to love me. Then walked in the current chaplain of Eastside Academy, and to my smoke and tears he came, explaining that he had come to make sure that I was safe. An hour later of laughter and jokes, I felt loved again. I honestly don't know what would have happened had that man not obediently answered the calling of God on his life. It was two in the morning. He had a wife and kids, but the Lord and his sovereign love for me called him out of his bed and to my side. That's what the staff and volunteers at Eastside Academy do. That is how they live out the gospel, and that's how this church gets to the honor and privilege to live out the gospel as well. In my senior year at Eastside Academy, the Holy Spirit finally melted my heart. If it weren't for the late nights that these staff members put in answering my fears and my doubts and my questions about the gospel, or the discipline they brought into my life, or the invitations to their family dinners, I wouldn't be here today. First and foremost, Eastside Academy exists to bring healing through the gospel to broken kids like me. It exists to give us hope, praise God, and to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father. But if it were not for the education, vocational skills, and mentorship I've received from Eastside Academy, I would not be here today. I would just be another statistic. I would have been a pregnant mom with no education, an addict that died with a needle sticking out of my arm, or another young woman searching for hope and empty relationships. But because of simple people like you, I know God today. And now I get to graduate with honors from Northwest University in the spring. I get to direct oh thank you. You can clap. <laughs> I get to direct an after school programme at my job for kids. I get to serve on leadership at my university. I get to share my testimony with wounds healed, and most of all, I get to walk in redemption every day as a new creation. I beg you. I beg you please be the catalyst for change in a young person's life like mine. Please let God use you. You all have my earnest thanks and praise. Thanks.
1: We serve an amazingly powerful God who is in the business of redeeming lives. But the reality is that Eastside Academy simply cannot serve all of the hurting youth in Puget Sound at our one location in Bellevue, which is why we are so excited to partner with Overlake to open our new campus here. We are actively preparing to have students walk in these doors on Monday, January 27th. And there is so much to be done before we open, and even more once our precious little cherubs arrive. One of my favorite quotes of all time says, Life shouldn't be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly shouting, Wow, what a ride! Thank you, Jesus. If you want to join us on this journey to show our students extravagant love, that they are precious creations of a living God, then we want you to come alongside us, and we need everything you are willing to give. Thank you so much for partnering with us over Lake.
0: I'd love to ask all of you to grab the Eastside Academy promo out of the handout. Just take a look at it real quickly. Uh, You'll see a couple of different ways to participate with this uh, new endeavor. The first, uh, we've got an annual dinner live auction coming up. Second, commit to being a part of our prayer team. As we launch, we definitely want to build a foundation of prayer. And so we'd love to enlist your help in that. The third says serve as a mentor. Um, One of the reasons why this program has an incredible amount of success is because there are so many people that are pouring into the life of each student. And so we would love to invite you to be a part of that. The last one says help on a work crew as we get the campus prepared for the fall. And To that end, what I'd love to invite you to do is, after this service, I wanna invite you to go to the campus location it's immediately behind us here on the east side of our campus. We're calling it the East Side Suite. <laughs> you get it? Uh, east Side. And and we're converting that into an area where the campus will uh, uh, house the students and, and uh, where the school will take place. So I want to invite you to go. Pastor Dan, Pastor Josh, Tony, and Lyric will be there. They want to walk you through where the, you know it all will take place and what our uh, needs will continue to be. So please take this, put it on your fridge, uh, keep these uh, guys and, and this endeavor in mind because this is a very, very exciting ministry and an opportunity for us to live what we're saying, that, that this allows us to love outlandishly without expectations. Last service, an interesting thing happened right here. Like right at this moment, um, and, and it really, I, I can't think that it's ever happened before, but a gal stood up right in the middle of the service, and and she just asked a question, and you could tell that it was born out of pain. And the question was, Pastor Mike, what happens when you love somebody, and you just keep loving them, and they don't respond to your love? Do you just keep pouring out love, and you, do you just keep trying? I mean, when is enough enough? Now, I, I, I could tell that the question was born out of, of intense pain. And maybe some of, some of you are in that same place of pain. And, and so I just, I want to say to you what I said to her is, oh, I, I can tell there's a story behind the question. And we want to care for you, and we want to love you and pray with you. We want to walk you through that. So please, don't leave today without talking to one of our pastors. Actually, Pastor Larry came and sat with her and, and began to counsel her right away, just taking care of her. So if that's where you are, just know that we want to care for you. We want to love you. But it was interesting then to, to go into answering the question. And, and I'll answer it now the way I did then. I said, well, you know, it's funny because Jesus, he tells us exactly the answer. He says, um, you, you know, Peter says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times. And, and Jesus says, no, no, Peter, you're getting it wrong. It's not seven times. It's 70 times seven, so 490 times. And then if he sins the 491st time, you just cut him right out of the equation, right? That's, that's the end of it all, right? That's not what he says at all. Um, he, he says you keep loving and you keep giving and you keep serving and you keep forgiving and you keep doing this because this is God's heart for you. Because God keeps loving you and God keeps serving you and God keeps forgiving you and he pours his outlandish love on you again again and again, and again, without limit. You see, in the Old Testament, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That lasts ever. That's what it means. Everlasting, right? The the most common word used to describe God's love in the Old Testament, you know this overlay, unfailing. His love never fails. And because he loves you with that kind of outlandish, limitless love, we are now called to share that kind of outlandish, limitless love with people who receive it, people who won't receive it with people who agree with us, people who disagree with us, people who affirm our theology, people who disagree with our theology, people who vote like we do, people who vote not like we do, people who drive the same kind of cars we do, people who don't drive cars, people who have the same kind of houses we do, people who don't have houses, people who uh, have the same idea of sexuality that we do, people who don't have the same, like you need to understand there's not a limit we keep loving, and we keep serving, and we're outlandish in it, why? Because Jesus is outlandish to me, and I need to, to love like he does. Now, in the first service, everyone cheered, but that's not a mark against you. I mean, like, you're, you're cool. Oh, thank you, oh. Uh, oh, he wants us to clap, oh yeah. I was reading Donald Miller this morning and he says this, in every conversation we have there's one going on with our lips and one with our hearts. God wants this conversation to always be loving. Always. Now, is it going to be hard? Absolutely. Are there going to be times when we're trying to love someone and care for someone and serve someone and it's going to be frustrating without question? Is it going to feel like crucifixion sometimes as we're trying to communicate love and it's not being received? Yes. Because Jesus walked this road before he ever asked us to. But if we're going to claim his name and we're going to follow in his footsteps, we need to be ready to love without limit just like he loves us. Okay, so let's pray together. And Lord, we just begin by saying, we can't, we're afraid, we know we don't have it in us. There's just no way on our own strength we can live. Even this challenge sounds exhausting. But rather than give it up, Lord Jesus, we invite your help And we ask that you'd fill us right now with your Holy Spirit, that you would remind us that we are not in this on our own, we are not left alone, we're not required to use our own strength or our own power or our own cleverness, our own intelligence, that Holy Spirit, you come and you pick us up and you carry us forward so that we might love the way that you have loved us. We declare that you have freely loved us, Jesus. We are so thankful. We want to be a thankful people for your love poured outlandishly on us. And now, Lord Jesus, we ask you for the courage to love others in that same way. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.